All right. Welcome to Prospect Generations. This is my first foray uh, onto the generation. I was trying to make myself of no generation, but uh, that, that didn't work out. Uh, this is David Dayan, executive editor of the American Prospect, and with me is the great Bob Kuttner, uh, co-founder and editor. Bob, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about you? Great. Great. Well, I, I wanted to talk to you because, uh, and we have discussed this a little before, uh, as much as it pains me to talk about 2024 when we're in the summer of 2023, uh, it's, it's kind of inevitable. And uh, in particular, uh, there's something that I've kind of noticed, and that is the fact that uh, you and some other of our older members on the staff seem uh, a fair bit more worried about the prospect of a 2024 Joe Biden candidacy and uh, maybe more to the point, a second Joe Biden term, uh, which would begin when he was 81 years old uh, than I am. And that may be younger members uh, of uh, is it 82? I can I can start. It over. Yeah, it's 82. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, more importantly, a second Biden term when at, at which point he will be 82 years old at the beginning of it uh, than I am and that uh, younger members of the staff are. And, and maybe we should start by you just sort of laying out your 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 position on this. I think there are a couple of issues here. One is the question of whether the perception, not by me, but by voters, that he's too old for the job, um, runs the risk of his not getting elected. And uh, I think that if Biden were 60 rather than 80, his popularity rating would be much higher. He's never been a fantastic speaker, but his difficulty uh, putting together words when he's speaking off the cuff, combined with the fact that he looks kind of old, leads people, rightly or wrongly, to conclude that he's kind of doddering, that he's passed his pull day. And when you add that to the doubts that a lot of voters have about Kamala Harris and the statistical risk that Biden might die in office, a, a, an election that ought to be pretty much of a slam dunk, not not a 60-40, but a 55-45 election uh, runs the risk of becoming a much closer election. So part of this is perception. Um, now, the part that's reality is more complicated. Uh, the, the I, that's the part I want to get into <laughs> because I, I, I want to hear the reality stuff. That's it, Rather than just the perception of how voters feel about this, I want to know how you feel about it. It's really interesting. Uh, I mean, I have written the fact, uh, written about the fact that um, because of the way Elizabeth Warren played the primaries when it became clear that Biden was uh, going to be the nominee and she very quickly folded her campaign and was hyper loyal to Biden, she's had a tremendous amount of influence. She's pushed him in a more progressive direction. And so you have this anomaly of uh, the, the soul of Elizabeth Warren in the persona of, uh, of Joe <laughs> Biden. It's a kind of a mythical beast that doesn't quite compute. 
And we've spoken about this a number of times. Biden has been a better president, not in every single respect, but in the policies he's pursued and the people he's appointed than we had any reason to hope. Uh, part of this is just the situation that he inherited. The combination of the recession, the supply chain crisis, COVID, uh, rather like Roosevelt in 1933, becoming more radical than people expected him to be. Same with Biden. And the other interesting thing about the substance of Biden is that this is almost more like a parliamentary regime uh, than any other president you can think of in the sense that there's a kind of collective leadership. Uh, Biden is the figurehead who presides over it, but his staff has a lot of power and his staff has a lot of influence on him. And the collectivity that is represented by Joe Biden as president is a stunningly progressive administration, not in every respect. The prospect does a terrific job of walking that tightrope. We we criticize them when we think they deserve criticism. We praise him when we think he deserves praise. But it's a little bit anomalous. And um, as long as he doesn't die in office, I think the substance of the Biden administration, uh, if he gets reelected, would be every bit as good as the first administration, uh, assuming that he can take back a majority in the House, assuming that we can keep control of the Senate. But you can't disconnect that from the perception on the part of voters. And I'm not just making this up. I mean, there's good polling data on this, that he's too old. And so I would have been, we may disagree on this. I apologize for the barking dog, if that's audible. Uh, um I would have been happier if Biden had had given a speech saying, I've had a great one term presidency. And certainly he has probably been the greatest one term president in American history. And now it's time for a younger person to take over. And I have my candidates. You probably have your candidates. And I think the, the likelihood that the Democratic regime would continue would have been increased if he had abdicated in favor of a younger uh, leader. There aren't that many of them, but there are enough who are plausible. Uh, so, I, you know, I'm looking at this election with a great deal of anxiety. I think he's done a very good job, better than we had any reason to expect. But I think the perception on the part of voters, and this is not something that I'm making up or attributing to the electorate, yeah. I think it's real. Well, I think there's two things that we can talk about here. We can talk about the politics and we can talk about the substance. And on the politics, I think we're not maybe that far off. So maybe we should just dispense with it. Um, uh, I, I, I don't disagree that if Biden made the speech that he kind of made in the primaries, that he was a bridge to a new generation of leadership and that uh, you know, and, and this was in, in, in your rendering of it, that this was the time to, to cross that bridge and, uh, and, and turn it over. Uh, would that have created, uh, more of a, uh, uh, possible, um, uh, breathing room for, uh, the Democrats in 2024? I, I don't think that's so cut and dried. I mean, oh, I, I agree with you. It's not cut and dried at all. It would have been a different kind of risk. It, 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 there are a number of risks in that. First of all, you have a vice president that whatever 
Uh, you just look historically and vice presidents usually come to the fore in, in a situation like that, uh, when, uh, the president steps aside, uh, or the president is term limited from running for reelection. We see vice presidents that, that pick it up. And, uh, you know, I think that's a, that, that would be a troubling situation. I also think that, that, uh, vice, you know, Kamala Harris does not have the commanding respect of the party to the degree that it would create a situation where she would be coronated, meaning that there would be a big fight again, uh, in, in, within the party. And, you know, I think that's generally healthy. It was certainly healthy in 2008. It was certainly healthy in 2020. But who would come out of that isn't necessarily going to be the, the, the person best positioned. Uh, for winning. And Biden has a lot of attributes that still remain despite his approval rating, which is ticking up recently, by the way, as inflation goes down, there's pretty much a, an inverse relationship between the two. Uh, I, I think that the, the, the qualities that he, uh, ha brings to the table, I think, uh, are, are, you know, in some ways could outstrip the, uh, the deficiencies that you're talking about. So I don't think it's a slam dunk. And uh, let, yeah. let, let me be clear, Dave. I, I don't think it's a slam dunk either. I think, I think it's a close question. Um, I think that the counterfactual here, what he might have done, he might have, uh, and the other problem with that, by the way, is the lame duck factor. Yeah. And, and, and I'd say a third problem, which is presidents don't do this. <laughs> they don't do it unless they're forced, uh, like, like Lyndon Johnson was in 1968. That's right. Uh, there's almost no other example of it. And the reason is that presidents, especially presidents that think they're doing a pretty good job, think that they're best positioned to continue to do that job. And so I think it's unrealistic for us to expect that Joe Biden was going to abdicate uh, uh, at the height of his powers. I think that's probably right. And it was also unrealistic. I, I had this conversation with a senior senator. Uh, it's unrealistic to expect that any member of his party would go to him and tell him that you need to abdicate because a president who's doing a good job, who wants to run for re-election, nobody, not even my favorite senator, is going to have the nerve to tell him that you need to ab abdicate. That said, um, let me let me play out the counterfactual. So if if six months ago he'd said, OK, uh, time to turn this over to another generation. You know, there are four or five or six plausible people. My favorite uh, would have been uh, Gretchen Whitmer. Uh, and if uh, running with uh, with Warnock. Uh, and I think that would have been a more powerful ticket than Biden Harris. Not not by leaps and bounds. But I would say I think institutionally, if you look at uh, everybody would have their favorites, but institutionally who would win, I think because of the pressure on Biden to hand it over to his own vice president, uh, because of the uh, funding networks that that uh, uh, you can access by virtue of being the vice president, I think it would be uh, uh, and by name recognition, I, I think it would be a, a, a strong chance that you would get a nominee of Kamala Harris. And I, I think that's that's problematic. I, I couldn't agree with you more that it's problematic, but I think she's such an unpopular figure, even in the African-American community, 
that if you threw it open and had an open process, I can't believe that Kamala Harris would be would be nominated. But that's we're into the realm of of wild. Yeah, this, yes, that this is true. This is true. So so I, I mean, I, I'm only bringing it up because I think that uh, the 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 idea that you could have a clean sort of uh, passing of the torch here is unrealistic. That it would be very messy. That it 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 would have a a a risk and maybe a high risk of turning this over to a situation that is worse than what we're, what we have now. I certainly agree with you that there would be a risk. So let's, I mean, let's talk about the best case. So mm-hmm. the, the, the best case is that Biden's ability to put words together doesn't deteriorate any further between now and November, 2024, that they managed to strike a balance between keeping him scripted and occasionally holding their breath, uh, allowing him out in an unscripted situation and hoping he doesn't do too much damage. They've, they've got a very good, well-articulated set of talking points about Biden Bidenomics. The problem with Bidenomics is that not enough benefit has accrued to not enough people in a dramatic fashion for Biden to get credit for what he's done. And so if you look at the average person um, 30, 40, 50 years old, uh, college debt, not Biden's fault. Uh, housing is unaffordable. Uh, payroll jobs are becoming more and more scarce. Factory towns are still depleted. And so the typical base Democratic voter of the sort who was reliable 20 or 30 or 40 years ago says, has my life improvement uh, situation improved much? Nah, not really. And well, I mean, uh, just to be clear, uh, that's a problem whether uh, uh, Biden runs for re-election or not, right? I mean, that that you're talking about a fundamental problem of Democratic leadership. Uh, what we are seeing is that real wages over the last few months have started to tick up again. Real uh, disposable income starting to tick up again. What matters usually in in these elections is where we're at. Next year, not necessarily where we're at this year. And the trajectory is such that if we avoid recession, uh, particularly if we avoid continued uh, rate hikes by the Federal Reserve, uh, that there, there's a strong possibility that uh, the, the reality will catch up to that narrative. Uh, and it already has in certain areas. There's one thing I wish they were doing better. I, I mean, on the whole, I, I'd give the campaign kind of a B plus, A minus. What they really ought to be doing is saying, and this is sort of Truman, um, if you elect me and you elect a Democratic Congress, these are the six things we're going to do that are going to make a dramatic difference in your life. Now, that's a bit of a stretch because you still have the problem of the filibuster, but they could get rid of the filibuster. You still have the problem of the court. Uh, but some of these bastards are going to die sooner or later and, and the court's going to turn over. And he ought to be forward looking. And, and uh, I think the value of being forward looking is that it plays him against type to the extent that he's viewed as an old guy. Old guys are backward looking. And Stan Greenberg has written our, our friend, the pollster, mm-hmm. in the prospect very eloquently about this, that, that instead of taking credit, for things that he deserves credit for, 
but that have not made that dramatic a difference in people's lives. You ought to be talking prospectively about the things we want to do if you reelect me and you you elect, give me back a Democratic House, elect a couple of insurance uh, senators uh, to offset uh, cinema and uh, and mansion. So they could be doing a better job. They're doing a pretty good job. And you just hold your breath that they can um, keep him on script enough of the time so that voters don't conclude that the old guy has lost it. Right. Uh, I mean, I, w- I want to go away from the politics in a second. But one thing I would just say is that it's hard to drive home a message that is essentially relative and particularly relative internationally. The two charts that you see the administration putting out show that economic growth compared to other industrialized nations is at the top and inflation compared to other industrialized nations is at the bottom. The problem is, is that the electorate doesn't live in France, England, Spain, and and all these other places. They're dealing with the here and now. So they got to square that circle. But, uh, okay. I, I think we're mostly in, in agreement on the politics of this and the, the, the promise and the pitfalls. The part I'm more interested in is the substance because uh, I feel – I mean, you stole a little bit of my thunder because I was going to say that this is kind of a parliamentary uh, situation and that we have – you know, uh, White Houses are made up of thousands of people, not all of whom are 82 years old. Uh, uh, but I have definitely heard from you and from others uh, of your age that – it's almost like they analogize it to themselves and think if I was in the White House making those decisions right now, I wouldn't be able to handle it. I don't know how this guy who's my age is able to handle it. And let, let me go ahead. Let me, let me disabuse you of that. OK. Um, you know, you, you keep me around as a senior writer <laughs> matter of prospect. I am not saying that your t- capacities are diminished in any way. Uh, well, no, but what I'm saying is I feel that my capacities, I'm a little younger than Biden, are are rather stronger than Biden's. And I'm better <laughs> off the cuff than he is. And I'm not extrapolating from my own. Well, maybe it's not extrapolating from yourself, but it's extrapolating from your age group. And the people that you know, and, uh, you know, uh, anyone of a certain age knows people that, uh, have changed in their lives from one condition to another. We have tape on Joe Biden in the 2008 primaries and the 2012 vice presidential debate where he's with it and going toe to toe with Paul Ryan and, and, and Barack Obama and everybody. Uh, and, and it's, there is a visible change in that. And I think that's more visceral to people of his or near his generation. Hey, it's Ryan Cooper, managing editor here at the prospect. I hope you're enjoying this episode of prospect generations, but I also invite you to enjoy our affiliated podcasts. Alexi the Greek and myself host Left Anchor, where we discuss politics, theory, and the left with the best writers and thinkers. You can also join comedian and prospect contributor Francesco Fiorentini for The Bituation Room, a humorous roundup of the week's news with plenty of bitching. You can find Left Anchor and The Bituation Room wherever you get your podcasts. And if you subscribe to The Prospect as a Power Level member, you can unlock bonus content for each of them. What a deal! 
For more information or to sample the shows, visit prospect.org slash podcasts. Let's get back to the show. Well, I, I, let me disagree with you now. Okay. I, you know, there may be something going on in my subconscious of which I'm not aware, but <laughs> I, I would like to think that if I were your age, I would have exactly the same perceptions that this guy doesn't have as much uh, acuity uh, as he had in 2008 and that I'm not the only one who notices this. And the other thing is, you know, everybody talks about this. And so you, you, you cannot have a conversation with random people without somebody saying, my God, he looks old. He looks tottering. And I know he's he's doing a good job, but boy, he looks like he's too old for the job. That's not me extrapolating from my own age group. That's just me hearing people talk, a lot of whom are a lot younger than I am, and just perceiving what he looks like. And um, okay. I mean, that that's I, I, I'm just an old guy. <laughs> I'm certainly not saying that he doesn't. I mean, I, 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 I'm certainly not saying I'm blind to this because I'm, I'm, I'm you know, the age that I am. Uh, I, I remember in the, the day after Biden won the California election, the primary in 2020, he appeared at a, uh, a hotel and, yeah, it was extremely noticeable. I was there. Uh, you know, I was within five feet of him and it was extremely noticeable. Uh, I'm not saying that I don't have that. I, I, I guess what I'm saying is that for me, and, and this is again, going by people I talk to as well, uh, just, just as you are for me and people of my age group, it, it, it kind of rolls off. And maybe that's because, uh, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I'm old enough to remember Reagan and, uh, and how he, he was, you know, his, the, the, the ideas of him being doddering, uh, uh, were, were, I mean, I was, I was young. I was a teenager before that, at that point. But, uh, and I'm old, but I mean, we've had old presidents now since 2016, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of old hat. Yeah, but he is, um, I think, eight years older than Reagan when Reagan left office. Uh, so right, but but life expectancy is different. Life expectancy is different in the last forty years. Uh, I mean, especially for people who get to that point. But but I, I guess I discount it a little bit because I think that that you know presidencies are generally made up of of armies of people and not and not one person. Yeah, and, and I. I think if he's reelected, David, and, and if he's reelected, God willing, with a with a Democratic Congress, he'll do just fine. He'll do just fine precisely for the reason that uh, I stole your thunder on that both of us agree <laughs> on, that this right. is a collective leadership with terrific staff. I mean, here we are, two lefties uh, outdoing each other to praise Joe Biden, which is just <laughs> remarkable. You're and, outdoing me, I think. Well, no, but that's but that's that's a tribute less to Biden, although he had the wit to appoint these people, than it is to Warren and Sanders pushing things left than it is. To I, I mean, I don't want to totally discount. I don't want to totally discount the ideas that presidents don't matter. Right. I, I don't I don't want to be saying and I, I screwed up the construction of that sentence, but I don't want to be saying that 
doesn't matter who's the president because, uh, you know, he, he, he the, the undersecretary of, of, of commerce is really where it's at. That, that's who's making the decision. No. I mean, obviously it matters. Uh, but at the same time, I just see it as, uh, this, as, as, as long as we're seeing someone, despite maybe not being able to articulate the way that, that everybody wants them to, uh, as long as they can do the job, and I think actions speak louder than words on that front, I don't see the problem. So we're back to politics, even though we don't want to be. And, um, no, I think we both agree that, um, on substance, this has been the best Democratic administration we've seen maybe since Roosevelt, and um, that he's more than competent enough to be the leader of all these great people. And it really does come back to how much the perception that he's too old is going to reduce his coattails. We need we need big coattails. We need to take back the House. We need to pick up a couple of insurance seats in the Senate. And it's a completely unprecedented situation on the one hand, on the Democratic side, to have a president this old and on the Republican side to probably have Trump redux. And you just hope that all of the craziness on the Republican side is going to more than offset the liability of Biden looking too old to a lot of people. So so when you talk to people of uh, of, of your age group, you, you don't get the sense that they're grading him sort of in relation to how people of their age group uh, are have, uh, how, how their own personal uh, acuity and uh, and and perception is uh, is is based. Mostly not. I, I mean, mostly it's just the visuals. He just looks too old. And uh, I mean, look at Bernie Sanders, who's older than Biden who's got every one of his marbles and he looks like and talks like he's got every one of his marbles. He doesn't, he doesn't act like a geezer. He acts like the sort of wisdom that you associate with age. Whereas Biden acts like somebody who's having trouble putting words together. So I know, I, I know you keep pushing me on this. <laughs> well, it's possible I'm wrong. It's possible I'm wrong about it. I mean, if you look at actual polling, uh, Biden is, is, is above water with seniors. Right. His approval is is at right around 50 percent, but it's underwater with voters under 45. Now, I think that has a lot to do a lot to do with with policy uh, and and, you know, what's what has actually happened in the country rather than uh, necessarily like, you know, old people like an old guy or something. But uh, but. You know, maybe I, I am maybe wrong about this. I have I have perceived it in when I talk to older folks and, and I, I perceive it on our staff. Uh, I, I think the people most driving home the idea that we need to replace Joe Biden has been you and Harold Meyerson. That that's who's been pushing that. What's well, a small sample? That's a very small sample size, I, re, I admit. But I, it, it's been buttressed by other people in my life. Well, it, it, it's just me being in circulation the same way you're in circulation, talking to a lot of people and just hearing this from random people saying, God, he looks old. I wish he weren't so old. I wish he I wish he spoke more articulately. I hope this doesn't hurt us in the election. It's sort of you just hear that over and over and over again. And um, I think that tracks somewhat 
with the fact that he's not polling as well as he should be polling, given how great things are with the economy and given what he's accomplished. And it's just a tragedy that he doesn't get more credit for all the great things that he's done. Well, I mean, I, I, I think you were right on when you said the actual lived experience circumstances that people are feeling are are not exactly at the level. And some of that is by design, right? I mean, you have the, the if you talk about the three big bills that have passed, all of them involve either uh, reconstructing highways, bridges and things of that nature or building semiconductor and clean energy factories, all of which have a huge time horizon. The Where we're seeing the numbers pop is in manufacturing construction, which is right at the beginning. Like you had, it takes years to construct the facility. Then we'll get the people inside to work it. Manufacturing construction has doubled in the year since the IRA and chips have passed and, and in specifically the electronic and computer sector, it has quadrupled and that's fantastic, but it affects the, the rather small subset of people who happen to work in the building trades. Uh, and, and not the, the vast majority of Americans, you know, many of which work in the service sector, for example, which have seen, uh, higher costs and, and not necessarily higher wages. Uh, although, you know, it depends on the sector. At the low-wage sector, we actually are seeing some higher wages. At the margin, there's improvement in the lives of some people. But you look at these uh, manufacturing communities that have been hollowed out for decades and decades, there, most of them are not coming back. So that you're you're seeing a marginal shift of one or two or three points in places like uh, Wisconsin. And that's absolutely crucial and I think combined with the abortion issue and combined with how crazy the Republicans are on some of the uh, culture war stuff, I, I, I think I think Biden will win. But, boy, wouldn't it be better if he won by a big enough margin to have serious coattails and we had a margin of 25 in the House and we picked up three or four seats in the Senate? And that's that's going to be tough. And yeah. that's what we need to really make yeah. well, second the second term the, make long term difference. The the Senate map is is it's almost impossible to win three or four seats. But but uh I should say that there are other polls out there that do show Biden with a much higher approval rating from young voters than there are from older voters. So it, it's a mixed picture. And it's hard to disaggregate that between <clears throat> people's perception of his age and just ideology, right? I mean, you know, younger voters are more liberal, older voters uh, a little more conservative. So it's hard to split that all together. But I, I just have this nagging feeling, and you're not going to let me, um, you know, get purchase on it. But the the let me ask you this: a second term would take Biden to age 86. What are your concerns about? that four year cycle and uh and 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 whether he would remain equipped to do the job throughout it i don't have a crystal ball i don't know uh, I, I mean i don't i don't see any evidence of what you might call early dementia uh it, it's more a matter we just lost you from the screen yeah it's more a matter of biden never having been all that articulate and our articulateness doesn't tend to improve with age so let's let's fast forward to 2026 
the, the, the last midterm election in a two-term presidency is typically a blowout against the incumbent. So you have to worry about what's going to be, even if we, even if we get a working majority in 2024, <laughs> both houses, what's going to happen in 2026. And, you know, best case, he holds it together. He's got a strong staff. Uh, the staff takes on more of the, of the burden. Worst case, he starts losing it. And, um, uh, who knows what happens? Uh, I mean, 86 is getting up there. Uh, and, um, do you think there's value in him? And actually, he's already kind of done this. Um, seating his cabinet, the people who surrounds himself with, with, you know, a group of younger and more vibrant people that look, you know, like America. I mean, we, we've see this at transportation. We have someone in their thirties at, 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 uh, uh, Gina Ramondo's kind of young. Catherine Ty isn't, isn't too old. Uh, uh, do you think there's value in that? Yeah. Um, although that's more symbolic, right? You, I mean, there's no correlation. Oh, there's no correlation whatsoever, as far as I can tell. I haven't thought about this until you raised the question between which cabinet members are doing a great job and how old they are. Oh yeah, w- without question. I mean, I, I don't even know if I agree with it myself. I, I thought I'd bring it up for discussion. Pete Buttigieg, who's one of the younger ones, is one of our least favorite cabinet members. So um, it's starting to change. Yeah, uh, thanks to pressure on him. But yeah. So I don't know if if the person who is both the figurehead and the actual president is getting into his late 80s, there's only so much you can do to offset that by appointing younger people to uh, to highly. And I mean, what we do know is that this is uncharted territory. I mean, every everybody uh, has seen pictures of presidents past and their aging process from their first day in office to their last day in office and how they, they look like they've aged 20 years. And, you know, part of the, the, the rumbling about Biden could have something to do with the stresses of the job. It's an impossible job at many levels being a, an accelerator of this perception, whether or not it's reality is besides the point, but presidents just look older as they go on. And uh, it's because it's a brutal job. Well, and and it's bad enough if you start out when you're 50. But if you start out when you're 78, uh, the aging process is probably going to accelerate. I mean, I was thinking about how unprecedented the situation is, especially given Trump. There's one precedent for a president abdicating who could have been elected to another term. And he abdicated at the peak of his popularity. And that was Teddy Roosevelt. And he ended up regretting it for the rest of his life. I was going to say George Washington, but go ahead. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's true too. Washington set the precedent. Right. um, And there's one precedent that that is relevant to a president not quite dumping his vice president but allowing the party to dump his vice president and and that of course was uh was roosevelt in 1944 because a lot of people in the party realized that he might not live out his fourth term and 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 henry wallace was too left wing and roosevelt allowed this to happen he realized he had to ditch henry wallace he didn't want to do it himself so he let the party do it now, now, do do you see any 
possibility of that. I don't. No, I don't either. I think it's highly unlikely. He'd, he'd have to abdicate himself and throw the whole process open in order for somebody other than Kamala Harris to be vice president. Right. He can't. He can't just surgically remove her. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's kind of the maybe that is what has driven my sort of ambivalence around this is that I just don't think it's possible. We, we you know, pre- presidents become presidents because they are narcissistic enough to believe that they and only they can uh, save the country from ruin uh, and 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 preserve the soul of America, as, as Joe Biden said in his uh, first campaign. The idea that he would think after four years, all right, I did it. I preserved the soul of America. I'm going to leave. Like, it's just not realistic. It's just not how it how it works. Well, also, David, you and I both talk. We don't talk to Biden. But we both talked to people who talked to Biden directly, one-on-one. And everybody I talk to who talks to Biden says, A, he's still got all his marbles, and B, he's having a very good time. And that sort of tells you why he doesn't want to step down, and that tells you why maybe we shouldn't be quite so alarmed. So it really is more perception than reality when you come to the question of governing. When you come to the question of running for re-election, there's some reality to it. Right. But that, that reality is based in perception, right? I mean, that, that reality is, is based, uh, to you in the idea that people just see this person as a figurehead and think of him as, as less vibrant. And, and certainly we've had times in our history where we've seen a backlash to that. Uh, right after Eisenhower, we got the most youthful looking president that we could possibly find. Um, you know, to an extent after, uh, uh, you know, the, the promise of Obama was sort of this promise of a, a, a forward thinking, forward moving, uh, uh, look to the future. But I have to say the Republican party is perhaps the least equipped in history to take advantage of this. <laughs> they're, they're, they're about to nominate almost certainly someone who is like 78 years old on his own right. Well, and who's a complete crackpot and uh, and who thinks nothing of the future and has literally relitigated uh, his own personal petty grievances and 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 past elections for the last three years. And, and there's no sign that he would do anything different in the next year. And that that will probably save Biden. There's one other historical analogy, and that's Woodrow Wilson. I mean, after Woodrow Wilson had a stroke for the last year or so year and a yeah. half of his term, he was quite doddering. His, his wife and Colonel House ran the place and the Republicans won a blowout in 1920. So to the extent that, I mean, we're, we're, we're looking way far into the future, but, but if Biden does get reelected and then starts looking when he's 84, 85, 86, like he's really doddering, you're setting up a real catastrophe for 2028. So, you know, there's nothing we can do about it. You know, (laughs) that's the thing. We can only talk about it on podcasts. And so when I have conversations with people who are closer in than I am to the strategy of the election, the the, the reelection campaign, they say, yeah, he looks too old. And all we can do is give him every ounce of support that we possibly can. That's what everybody keeps coming back to. And oddly, this includes people to the left of me 
who have sort of come around to the feeling that this guy is the best guy we're going to get anytime soon. And all we can do is give him total support. I, I guess that's why it's fodder for podcasts rather than anything uh, that's effable out there, because uh, they're they're And I would have I would argue and maybe this is why uh, I I just wasn't that uh, just wasn't really deep into it as much as you were, is that I just never thought it was a reality. I just I, I never thought that. Uh, okay, he's a president. He's he 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 hasn't been disqualified in one way or another. He's not going to leave, and and uh, those who think he is are 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 losing it now. Uh, maybe in the in the minute we have left here, uh, I will relay uh, that. So I went to our local Fourth of July parade. Here in uh, San, it's in Santa Monica, which is the next town up. Uh, but it's a classic small town parade, and at that small town parade was a fairly large contingent of Kennedy Twenty Four uh, uh, individuals uh, with shirts and brochures and 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 uh, you know grassroots movement looking kind of stuff. Uh, like it or not, there's going to be uh, there is a primary. Uh, happening. It's, it's not a, necessarily a real primary and it's primary where the main competitor, uh, discredits himself to the actual voters who are going to vote in the Democratic primary every time he opens his mouth. But, uh, it is real in New Hampshire where you, near where you are. Uh, Biden's not going to be on the ballot in all likelihood, uh, because of the way in which they botched the, the, the primary process. Uh, so, uh, this, you know, Robert Kennedy is probably going to win the state of New Hampshire. We can say that today. Uh, and, uh, do you think that, that although I, I see no way that this is, uh, affects, uh, uh, who ultimately gets the nomination in any way, do you think that there any sort of interaction between the age issue and the fact that there is this competitor uh, uh, that that plays any role in uh, the potential dynamics down the road? I think it's very damaging. I, I mean, the fact that a complete crackpot who's sort of our version of Trump could win a primary or could get 20 or 30 percent of the vote, I think they're going to have to figure out how to put Biden on the ballot in New Hampshire. They're just going to have to figure out how to have, make that happen because they they can't let Robert Kennedy win New Hampshire by default. Just imagine the headlines the next day and the next week. And it's going to it's going to add to this picture of Biden being politically vulnerable and surely smarter people than we at the DNC and at the reelect campaign are thinking about this night and day. Well, the DNC are the ones who thought in their infinite wisdom to change the primary calendar to states where they had no control over whether or not the states would comply with those changes. Republican states, South Carolina and Georgia, uh, controlled by Republican legislatures and Republican governors as if they're going to just do a solid to, <laughs> to, to, to the Democratic Party. Uh, by changing their primary calendar. So I, I don't have a lot of faith in the DNC's ability to. No, but, to, but to I have a lot this. of faith in, in the, in the perceptions of the reelect committee as to just how much damage Robert Kennedy winning 
New Hampshire could do to Biden. And I'm sure they've got the smartest people around thinking about how to get Biden on the ballot. You know, because you play this out and I don't think this is going to happen, but uh, you play this out. Kennedy wins New Hampshire because literally there's no spot for Biden on the ballot. Uh, you know, uh, some incident that the Kennedy types play up that speaks to Biden's age uh, ensues the next day. And there's this narrative uh, that 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 then this momentum kind of swells. Uh, I, I don't think it's impossible. Kennedy demands that Biden debate him. I mean, this could well, they be, already is. Yeah. Yeah. This could be this could be uh, damaging. And um, they've they, <laughs> they've got to they've got to work harder to make sure that Biden is on the ballot everywhere. Kennedy's on the ballot because he does, as you say, discredit himself anytime he opens his mouth. And the fact that anybody at all is taking him seriously is just another sign of how screwed up politics in this country has become. All right. Well, I think we're going to have to leave it there. Uh, Bob Kuttner, uh, senior editor, partner in crime. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Uh, This is David Dayan, uh, and you have been listening to Prospects Generations. Generations.